What is the Pop Cup? Oh, Underdog has golf. That's right. $5 to play, $10,000 in prizes. Underdog is on fire. Promo code UNDERWORLD. This is The Decision Point with Anand Nanduri. And Anand, I'm wearing these glasses because I haven't done any research. We're going to rely on you today. We're going to go division by division. We're starting with the AFC East. And I'm going to go to the draft kit and check out your free agents added lost. I'm going to be throwing you over-unders from Caesars Sportsbook, promo code PODFATHER15. But we need you to analyze this particular division. The Bills are massive favorites. We'll get to them in a minute. The first team I want to start talking about, the New York Jets. It's a fun team. It's a really fun team. And pull up their win total, and you see it staggeringly low, if you ask me. Well, they've made a lot of improvements. Right? Lake and Tomlinson's a big upgrade. Jordan Whitehead's a big upgrade. C.J. Uzama, you might not call him a huge upgrade, but the tight ends they had last year were not great. And then you have D.J. Reed, who they signed from Seattle to play opposite now Ahmad Gardner. And then you go into their draft and you sit there and you look at Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, Brees Hall, Jeremy Ruckert. This team is going to be remarkably better than it was last year. I really think that my take is it comes down to Makai Becton. I hate to say it, but... If I knew that Makai Becton would be healthy for the majority of the season, just the majority of the season, just say 10 games, if I knew we were getting 10 healthy games from Makai Becton, then I think the over-under win total on the Jets would be a smash. Yep. And I think the the big part, the, the question that you have with the Jets, right, is now they've assimilated all of this really, really good long-term high-end talent. The question with a team like the Jets is always going to be, what does their depth look like? And honestly, at this point, it's not great. They're going to have to operate on, you know, star power, which is fine. We've seen teams do it before, but I feel like this win total is too low. What is it, five and a half, six and a half, somewhere in there? It's five and a half, but the over, the over is minus 175. So the sports books are waving the white flag on this. They're like, listen, it's probably six. Yeah. So if they could reset it now based on demand, I think they would they would set it at six. And the thing is, I'd still probably go over on six. Just kind of given given their I think they win seven games. Yeah, you're you're getting minus one seventy five. So you're going to have to pay almost double to make a hundred bucks. Yeah, you have to pay one hundred and seventy five bucks to make a hundred. Yep. That's not great math. Typically not. But also, setting the Jets' regular season win total at five and a half was not right. No, I mean, it, it's one of the more, it's kind of like when we looked at that Higgins line where it's just like, this is the one out of everybody where you're sitting there like, what, five and a half? Did you not pay attention to anything this team did the last six months? You know, like, yes, they were bad last year. Everybody knows they were bad last year. Zach Wilson, for the most part, bad last year. Like, do you think... Baked into this number at five and a half is Zach Wilson is probably not going to take that much of a step up 
the rookies aren't going to contribute at a level that we think they might. Their offseason acquisitions aren't going to win them another game, game and a half. Like, there's a lot to consider here, right? Like, Elijah Moore was the end-all, be-all on that team in terms of wide receivers last year. Now you have Garrett Wilson. You know, you've added another really, really, really good offensive lineman. You've added a tight end. You've added a running back. You've added, like, there are so many key offensive pieces. And then to get a guy like Jermaine Johnson where they got him, like, this is... This is not your 2021 Jets team. It's going to look very, very different. And with that being the case, I think this is one of the more comfortable, low-end number overs that I would take this year. They've invested more capital in the NFL draft than any other team the last two years. If you use just a simple scoring system, and this is all laid out in our world-famous draft kit, the team previews are the greatest part of the draft kit. I mean, the... Signature trends, the season reviews, the season outlook is incredibly comprehensive with you know, all the players that have been added, lost, vacated targets, vacated carries, vacated air yards, you know, 1,750 vacated air yards, 45 vacated carries, 212 vacated targets, strength of schedule. It's pretty difficult, right? Pretty difficult. Uh, number 27 in strength of schedule against the pass, so Zach Wilson will be challenged by above-average secondaries and about a, a league-average schedule against the run. When you look at the players they've added and lost, they addressed their big weaknesses, tight end. They not only brought in Uzama, but also Tyler Conklin. Tyler Conklin has been playing ahead of Uzoma during camp, and Tyler Conklin was a better, more dynamic player last year than C.J. Ozoma, so I would I have no problem. I'm drafting Tyler Conklin. Tight end premium, deep leagues, you can draft tight end Conklin in fantasy football, and you certainly don't want to drop him in leagues where you start multiple tight ends or tight end premium dynasty leagues just to see how this shakes out. But the Lakin Tomlinson addition as well. So you add Lakin Tomlinson in free agency. They had Elijah Verrett Tucker the previous season. Loved that pick. Bolstering the offensive line. I mean, this is... Always what I home in on. What kind of upgrades or downgrades have they made on the offensive line? And the Jets have made incredible upgrades. Not to mention the most upgrades across the offensive skill position players. Zach Wilson, Brees Hall, Elijah Mitchell, Garrett Wilson, all in the last two years. Not to mention Michael Carter on day three. Jeremy Rucker at the end of the third round. Max Mitchell, another offensive. I mean, it's just... there's. Such incredible draft capital invested in this team the last two years and invested pretty wisely. If it were me, I would not have drafted a running back in round two, especially after Michael Carter broke out last year. That's We talked about how and when we would consider running back in the NFL draft, but at least they got Brees Hall. At least they didn't draft Kenneth Walker, right? At least they got by far and away the exquisite talent at running back in this particular draft class. If they were going to take a running back in the second round, it better be Brees Hall, man. And they did it. So this is an impressive team. They've they've really made strides in their whole philosophy of team building. And it shows just based on the, the players they've added and lost this offseason, which is a, a panel right on the draft kit. Whoa, right? You could tell this team is trending in the right direction. And that's without assuming 
Zach Wilson takes this giant leap forward. Zach Wilson takes a big leap forward. I mean, if, this is a playoff team. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and that's the big part of this, right, is there are teams that get there, like, and we saw this. This is a great example. Last year when we were talking about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh won the war of attrition with depth over time. The AFC just got beat up. And Pittsburgh just had more solid bodies than anybody else. That's one way to get to the playoffs. Another way to get to the playoffs is to have your quarterback take this ascendant leap, which Zach Wilson is capable of doing. It's not like the kid doesn't have talent, right? And no, I'm not just talking about the moms. But holy shit, does this kid have an arm, right? He has. He can make every throw on the field. The problem, the thing that we were most worried about is last season's Jets team was so bad we hope they didn't Carson Wentz slash ruin him, right? We, we hope that they didn't instill in him all of these terrible traits that you don't want your quarterback to have, thinking you have to play hero ball, trying too hard, all of these things that we worry about with these young quarterbacks when they have a really, really bad first year. I think they've done right by him in giving him all these pieces, and I think you're going to see, even if he doesn't necessarily take the leap, He's going to be much, much better than he was last year, and that's really all they need out of him to go well over 6-7 wins. Look who was starting at running back last year. Wasn't Ty Johnson starting? Did they have Tevin Coleman starting those games that Michael Carter was out? Who was starting at wide receiver? Do you even remember? Wasn't Mims out there? It was, it was wild. Like some of the They just had injuries, and now they have Corey Davis coming back who – Yes, they overpaid, but he is a proper, prototypical clasher on the outside. They've got Elijah Moore at Z. They've got Garrett Wilson now. We can play slot. They can flip-flop slot and Z. So this is what you want to do. I mean, if you want to give your quarterback the best chance to succeed and at times, right, take the ball out of his hands and not ask him to do everything, you go get the best running back. You go get a top-10 receiver. You continue investing in the offensive line especially the tight end position. I mean, it wasn't enough that they, they just went and got Uzoma. They also said, hey, it's like it's like me in one of these tight end premium leagues where I'm like, man, I, I feel like I'm, I'm all set at tight end, but man, if you're going to let me have this value on Tyler Conklin, I'm going to take it. Why not? I was shocked. I thought the Vikings loved Tyler Conklin. He looks like a Viking. He belongs in the Vikings. And the Jets said, hey, you guys are going to let Tyler Conklin walk at value? We'll take him too. We'll take him. And then they took Rucker, and they've got three guys with dynamic tight end skill sets that do different things well. And now you've got a team where they can run at you kind of what San Francisco did two, three years ago when they were trying to support bad quarterback play, not from Garoppolo. When Garoppolo got injured, you watch San Francisco's offense change. You watch them try to get people in space. You watch them use a multitude of running backs, multitude of tight end formations, running backs in the backfield, all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff that you haven't seen anywhere else. And I think that they're going to start to do that in New York this year. So that team's just, if if nothing else, they're going to be a lot of fun and they're going to be watchable, which is a lot more than can be said for the Jets for the past few years. You're an Ohio State fan. Would you agree that Elijah Moore was a better prospect coming out and will have a better season this year, given the fact that he had... Uh... 47.8% route win rate, which was top 20 in the league. Target premium comparing his per target output and production to the other receivers in that Jets passing game last year, plus 14.1%. 
and his contested catch rate was 50%. Those were all top 50 in the NFL last year for a rookie-wide receiver. So I think it's easy to project him seizing that that number one job. And knowing that the remaining targets are going to be distributed across Corey Davis and Garrett Wilson and even Brees Hall, Tyler Conklin, as we mentioned, I'm not drafting Garrett Wilson for that reason in fantasy football this year. I think there's going to be dilution of targets behind Elijah Moore, but I'm fine taking Elijah Moore, say fifth round, sixth round of a fantasy draft. I'm in. No problems with that whatsoever because I think he's going to be the true number one based on his success, his efficiency last year in these deeper metrics. Yeah, I think Garrett Wilson this year is going to be – is going to perform a lot of the same roles that Elijah Moore performed for them last year while they move Elijah Moore to more of a true alpha number one role, which isn't necessarily a bad thing long-term for Wilson. There are plenty of receivers that have popped in year two and year one were kind of the one B to somebody else. That's probably where I see this going. Um, Not that he's not a superstar in his own right, not that he's not an incredible prospect, but it's more so they're trying to be as safe as possible with their target distribution among all these players. Because now you've gone from, hey, you've got to be the guy, you've got to be the guy, you've got to be the guy, to now you're the guy, don't worry about it. But we've got all these other guys that are also pretty good. And I think once you start to see kind of week three, week four, week five, how they choose to use Wilson and more specifically Corey Davis – I think that's going to give you the best idea of what Elijah Moore's role is really going to be. But I'm with you. I think he is that true number one that, that they've been looking for, and they're just going to feed him over and over and over again. And now moving on to the Miami Dolphins, it's a similar story. They've upgraded the offense significantly. The schedule is difficult. They have the most difficult passing game schedule in the league, one of the most difficult running game schedules in the league, 1,800-plus vacated air yards, not a huge number. But they do. They bring in Tyreek Hill and equally as important. Would you agree with this? Yeah. Teron Armstead. Oh, yeah. Huge. 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 He's huge. And Connor Williams they added. So they had Connor Williams from Dallas. They bring in Teron Armstead from New Orleans to bolster what was one of the league's worst offensive lines last year. Tua had very little time to throw. And yet... He didn't get hit a lot. He didn't take a lot of sacks because he was just releasing the ball so quickly underneath, right? Boom, 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 waddle, 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 so close to the line of scrimmage. This will allow them to get further downfield. This will help Jalen Waddle's air yards in particular. And I'm excited to see what this offense looks like with Tyree Kill in more of a Debo Samuel role, a little more of a gadget role. I want to see that. I'm interested in that. Not really for fantasy. I think it's a stay away in the second round. But as a football fan, I'm interested anytime. A team invests in the offense across the board, starting with the offensive line, through the skill position players, bringing in Chase Edmonds. They've upgraded every single position group on offense with the exception of quarterback saying, hey, Tua, this is what you need to show us that you can take the next step. Yeah, and I think the biggest part of that, too, is I think people are misunderstanding why we disliked the Tyreek Hill pickup. It was the cost for the acquisition, not that we disliked the player. Because if you go look, I can't remember who posted this. Someone someone posted this on Twitter the other day, and I had to go look it up myself. Mahomes and Tua's average depth of target 
is off by like 0.1 yards. So if you want to go, go through how the, the Chiefs offense fundamentally changed last year when everybody started playing too high, they started using Tyreek the way that Miami is going to use him. And so it was an easy, it's an easy to watch and see how they're going to use him as kind of that, you know, the, the, it's their new toy. Wind him up and let him go. Obviously, he's going to create separation. Obviously, he's going to house a couple quick slants. Yeah, you're not going to get the crazy Mahomes runs around for 35 seconds and everybody's lost in coverage and Tyreek hits an 80-yard bomb. Those are probably gone. What Tua does really, really well and what people aren't giving him enough credit for is how accurate he is in short area windows. And that's one way to create that wind separation for your receiver too. So I think Hill, Waddle, all of these guys are going to benefit. Maybe it's not in a fantasy football context, but in terms of actually winning out on the field, I think this team is much better. And then I don't want to gloss over Channing Tindall in the third round, linebacker out of Georgia. Holy mother of God, can that kid play? They only had four picks because of the Tyreek Hill trade. And, and they used him well. They used him well. Hey, when I look at their win totals, I was shocked. I was shocked to see the Jets at just five and a half on Caesars, just like I was shocked to see Miami at eight and a half. And yet... The public is on the over, and at plus 115, under 8.5, that's the direction I would go because I think that the Jets and the Dolphins are not that far apart. You yeah. could argue the Jets have a better offensive line. You could argue the Jets' quarterback has a higher ceiling and that yeah. their defenses are comparable. So I don't understand this big gap in the win total from 5.5 to New York, 8.5 to Miami. Whenever a team is in transition, they bring in a new coach, they add big, flashy pieces in trade or free agency, they're pushing their chips into the middle of the table, it's fair to wait a year and see how the coaches and the players interact and gel and can leverage one another's skill sets. Why run out and take the over? Why not just I, wait and see what the Dolphins are? With all this uncertainty, we have no idea exactly what... Mike McDaniel's offensive tendencies are going to be. We need to figure all this out in season. Given all this uncertainty, I would say take the under just to say, all right, we don't know. And if we, if we, if we feel like there's a cloud of uncertainty around a team, even if it's a good way, if it's like, hey, they made some big upgrades, check the market, see if the market overcorrected. And I think in this case, yeah, overcorrection on the Tyreek Hill at, you know, I just think that's eight and a half is eight and a half with with the minus 135. The Patriots have the same line and they're just minus 130. I think the Patriots are a much better value because they established what they are last year. Yeah. And, and the thing for me about Miami's win total is I would stay away just entirely because I think they finished eight and nine, nine and eight. And one bounce of the ball will get you one side and one bounce of the ball will get you the other. Uh, and so any team that's kind of in that zone is one of those things that I'm just like, you know, I'm I'm out on it. Well, hold on. Hold on. Let me give you their early season schedule. Patriots at home at the Ravens. Bills at home at the Bengals. They could easily start 0-4. No one would blame them 
if they looked up and they're 0 and 4, it'd be like that. That was that was a tough first four games. Yeah, that's a gauntlet early season. It's a gauntlet. Yeah, and they they go at the Lions. That's going to be a very winnable game for the Lions. The Lions could be favored in that game. If the Lions start well, because I think it's one of the most improved franchises in the league, they could start well and be favored in that game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, like Miami's schedule's tough. There's no doubt about it. But they have upgraded significantly. The defense is still good. The offense, we think, will improve. It's just, it's not, it's it's all about Tua. Whatever you whatever you think of Tua and whatever you think this year's jump, quote-unquote, could be, that's how you have to feel about the Dolphins. I'm a little more optimistic maybe than you are, but it's it's I'm not I'm not ready to ascend him, you know, into the upper ranks of quarterbacks in the NFL. And for that reason, I don't think like if they had set this at nine and a half, I would go under, but I think they finished somewhere in that eight nine win area. So I'm like they also let Jacoby Brissett go. That was a mistake. See, that was a mistake. Tua has proven that he has a difficult time sensing pressure. So by taking the under, you're also going to benefit from the probability that Tua misses games. And if Tua misses games, then they're almost assured to go under eight and a half because then they go to Teddy Bridgewater. And is Teddy Bridgewater going to get the most out of Tyreek Hill and Waddle? No, he's going to minimize their capabilities. He's, he, that's not the right quarterback for this particular team. No. I actually think that Jacoby Brissett was a better fit yeah. behind Tua than Teddy Bridgewater. Agreed. And I think the biggest thing, for, especially if you're trying to project this season and then beyond for Tua, he's always going to have that short area accuracy, right? What we want to see the strides in are, do you have enough anticipation to hit those throws that break out instead of the throws that break in, right? Because you are you don't want to limit your play caller in terms of what they can call because we've seen Mike McDaniel's run game be awesome. Mike McDaniel's pass game be awesome and innovative and fun. And going back to what we talked about with the Jets, right? This is the, the, the interesting dynamic between the Jets and the Dolphins is essentially they were all in San Francisco two years ago. So it'll be interesting to see what the philosophy difference between a Robert Sala and a Mike McDaniel will be as we go forward. Clearly the Dolphins are going to invest in the offense and clearly the Jets are too, right? I think that the distinction between the two of them is how they've gone about doing it. Miami has paid up big money, whereas the Jets have strategically found value and then drafted well. So they're two different philosophies in terms of team building. And the thing is, what you worry about is if, if you're a Dolphins fan is the spend is going to maximize the next three years of a window, right? Because you paid up, so to speak. I can't believe we're in this place. I just can't believe it. I can't believe we're in this place. Just a couple of years ago, I thought the Dolphins were the most Moneyball-like team in the NFL. They were going full Moneyball. They were going full analytics department, making super savvy decisions about players not to extend. Like They got a... A, just a treasure trove of draft picks from the Texans when they overpaid for the right to overpay for the Dolphins' left tackle. Do you remember that trade? Laramie Tunsil, right? That was the that was the the hail mary that Bill O'Brien threw. All right, this is this is it. This I I, I got to protect Watson. This is this is my final chance here, and we're gonna give you all our picks forever, pretty much. And I was like, oh my god, they're making so many great decisions. They're, they're surgical out there in free agency. 
And then they abandon this entire plan and mentality two years in, right? And, and you look at Teron Armstead, right? Teron Armstead suddenly found injuries last year, right? He was like a magnet. Shoulder strain, elbow strain, and knee injury. He was out more games than he played last year with three separate injuries. So, And now he's 31 years old. So you could argue he's just as likely as Makai Becton to miss games this year. And that's why the parallels are there. It, just the win totals are worlds apart. Yeah. And that's what I find weird, right, is the Dolphins and the Pats having the same win total is strange. The reason that I say that is if you were going to set the Dolphins and the Pats at the same win total, you believe one of two things. New England has regressed to where to closer to where Miami is last year. Or Miami has improved so much that they're where New England was last year. Or close to it. And I don't think either of those things are true. If you set them both at nine, like if you set one at nine and a half and one at ten and a half, this would make more sense to me. But to set them both at eight and a half makes no sense. The premium you have to pay is actually greater on the Dolphins. That doesn't make any sense. It's, just, it's crazy. I, I don't understand it. So looking at the Patriots, Mac Jones, 520 pass attempts, 4,260 air yards. Joe Burrow, 520 pass attempts, 4,198 air yards. Nate Liz, this tweet is getting some traction. Good job, Nate. Woo! And the the crazy part to me about that is all, and obviously we know the Bengals love the little short screens and the quick slants and all of that stuff. But their offense was so nine eight nine driven when push came to shove, and it's just vertical routes with Higgins and Chase, and you don't have two corners that can stop them. And somehow Mac Jones had more air yards than Joe Burrow, which is crazy. That is insane. To Jacoby Myers, who runs a four six. And Kendrick Bourne. He had nobody with speed. There's nobody. Can we please like start a GoFundMe for Mac Jones to find in a number one receiver? Please. They brought in Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker convinced the coaches to just punt Nikhil Harry. That's a good sign. I mean, okay, but what have we gotten from Nikhil Harry? Before camp even starts, like, bye bye we're good. They must have seen something that they liked during minicamp from Devontae Parker. Because when you sign a Devontae Parker, and he's now well into his 20s, and he's already had his mega contract, right? So with really only one productive season on his entire resume, it's a high-risk move. That's why he wasn't expensive, right? That's a classic Patriots move. Yeah, I mean, would it cost a sixth-round pick? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cost him nothing. Yeah, just to take a, take, take a, take a, Take a flyer. Take a flyer, man. Take a flyer on Devontae Parker. See what he has left. See what, see where his motivations lie. And then I think they brought him into camp, according to beat reports, and the actions of the front office. Like, oh, wait. This guy came ready to play. Oh, yeah. The light switch may have come back on again. So the light switch came on once for Devontae Parker a couple of years ago, and it's possible it comes on one more time. The thing is, at his best, which I hate to – like boil an entire career down to at his best. But like the thing is you've seen flashes of what he can be over and over and over again in moments. 
And you sit there and you wonder, like, what is going on here? Why can't you do that more often? It's like, especially with, with him, like, there's such a I'm just better than you at the top of his route where he'll just literally f- essentially fist fight someone in the air for the ball. And it's awesome to watch when he does it, right? But, like, it's like, hey, please do this. Why are you not doing this? And I think that if anybody can get the dog back in him, Belichick can get the dog back in him. We'll see. What do you think about the simplistic way that the Patriots have been managing their roster in recent years? They lose J.C. Jackson, so they bring in Malcolm Butler, Terrace Mitchell, then they draft Marcus Jones and Jack Jones. Like, okay, we're, we're losing one cornerback. We're going to quad replace him. Yep. Right? We're losing Shaq Mason. We're losing Ted Karras to the Bengals. Oh, yeah. We'll replace them with Cole Strange. Right? So it seems like they're just going very much one for one with their offseason transactions, their drafting and their free agents. It's just about, hey, we lost player X at position Y. We're going to replace him with player Z at position Y. It's it's just not about revolutionizing the roster in any way, shape, or form. They're not trying to turn this thing over. They're not trying to change the identity. This is very much a team, I think, that has found their identity and has found and decided on the way they want to play football and are just swapping personnel one-off, one-for-one, to just keep the system humming as it was last year when they did make the playoffs. This is the thing that I don't understand. How could the Dolphins, which are turning over their entire team, including the coaching staff, shaking everything up after not making the playoffs, have a worse value over under at the same win total than the Patriots, who, with the exception of losing J.C. Jackson, have upgraded across the board elsewhere because well i mean i have no idea where their lines are the same and does vegas really think that the jc jackson loss was that important potentially see to me that the, the way that i've always approached new england as soon as i kind of put two and two together when kyle shanahan and the niners made that run to the super bowl and then they kind of turned over parts of their roster that i thought they'd keep i realized the niners or well the patriots are essentially the AFC version of the Niners with less talented supporting cast and a little less creative run game. Belichick makes the defense good enough that they can have the turnover on the defensive side, much like San Francisco does. And for years, Brady made it so that they could have the turnover on the offensive side, much like Kyle Shanahan's brilliance in terms of scheming people open, that they could lose people. The issue that New England will have long-term is can Mac Jones elevate that supporting cast around them, or are they going to have to spend money strategically on weapons in ways that they haven't in the past? Everything else that you mentioned makes a lot of sense because if you're going to lose an ex- a very expensive guard, right, it doesn't make sense to go pay up for another very expensive guard. You could have just retained your guy, right? The, the best way to get value at a position like guard is to draft them late in round one, early in round two, get five years or four years of that rookie deal. And then essentially you've replaced a very expensive good player with what you hope is a very inexpensive good player. They're trying to do the same thing at corner. They're trying to do the same thing at receiver from time to time. 
they only spend money on positions either that they deem of optimum importance or positions that they think have been misguided by the league. What I mean by that is two years ago, the tight end market was weird. Nobody wanted to pay up for tight ends. Everybody wanted to pay up for wide receiver. So they paid up for tight ends. Did it all work out? No. But that was smart expenditure given the fact that tight ends do more than just catch passes. So what they're trying to look for is market inefficiencies. And what they're doing over and over and over again is telling you, we're not going to pay up for positions we don't think are important. And that's why you see so much turnover at defensive back if J.C. Jackson is going to make $87.5 million, right? Like, that's not something New England's going to do. They're going to go draft a guy that they think can be 80 to 85% of J.C. Jackson, go draft another guy one round later that they think could be 70% of J.C. Jackson. Yeah, you're, you're, that's basically, that's Moneyball. We're going to replace Giambi in the aggregate. Right. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. And you're going to trust either the best or the second best, depending on how you feel about Nick Saban, defensive back coach of all time in Bill Belichick to coach them up and get whatever's in them out of them. Like, this is the advantage that New England has. New England does not have to pay up at cornerback. And while Dante Scarnecchia was there, they didn't have to pay up for offensive linemen because they had two coaches in Belichick and Scarnecchia that could get the best out of whatever it is you had invested in. And then Brady would get the best out of the rest. That's why New England was able to do what they were able to do over a period of time. People think that it was because Brady took a pay cut. Nah, it's because they got the best out of players that no one else could get the best out of, right? Right. That's their competitive advantage. And now they have Mac Jones, who we know is going to take a leap. The, the, The probability that Mac Jones makes a step forward this year with Devontae Parker now, with another year under his belt of experience, it's much more assured than either Zach Wilson improving or Tua improving. Yeah. Right? So we know that. And then the Patriots won 10 games last year. So even if they don't change their system at all, and it doesn't look like they are, their personnel investments are the same, right? They were just hot-swapping key personnel in the offseason without wanting to make any material changes And last year, what do we know about them? They did not throw the ball very often. Less than 30 pass attempts per game was bottom five of the NFL. It's just that when Mac Jones dropped back, he didn't run the ball. So he was able to maximize his air yards there. And he pushed the ball downfield as a rookie. As a rookie, he wasn't some scared game manager. He wasn't fearful. He was fearless. Yeah. Down the field. And, and, If you are going to be run heavy, then when the quarterback drops back, you better be pushing the ball down the field. You better be at least getting your air yards somehow. If you're not going to get them with pure pass attempt volume, get them with target depth. And, And they're doing that. So this is a much more certain situation. And the team projections we have for the Bills have a lot more certainty locked in than with the Dolphins, which is why they are a better bet. Yeah, and I think, look, when you look at New England, right, the main thing that's going to scare people away is what does this offense look like without Josh McDaniels? Well, they've had a multitude of offensive coordinators come through there, become head coaches, return, go be offensive assistants at Alabama, come back. The the whole Belichick-Saban assistant swap thing is alive and well, right? 
And the thing is, look, nobody is worried. Nobody should be worried about New England's offense. It's not complicated. Hammer, 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 hammer. Mac Jones throws over the top of you. Rinse and repeat. Like the, the offense is not complicated. And people see that as a bad thing. You shouldn't. It's kind of irrelevant whether it's good or bad because over time the volume is going to average out and it's going to be fine. It is what it is, right? They're never going to wow you with crazy plays like Kansas City. Their offense, is there, you know, it's never going to look relatively anemic like a really bad football teams would. It's just not super exciting. And I think people are mistaking exciting for relevant or exciting for, what's the best word to use here? Efficient, right? The offense could be efficient without being exciting. Yeah, and, and Bill Belichick is is going in the opposite direction, right? One thing always remains true. When the NFL zigs, Belichick zags. Yep. That's what he does. Everyone's going empty backfield, you know, four or five wide receivers. He's bringing out an extra tight end. Yep, hand in the dirt. Everyone's playing nickel and dime against us. We'll make them pay. We'll make them pay. That's his attitude. That's his sort of matchup-based attitude, and that is a, a, a pretty clear path, 9-10 to 10 wins. Well, the other thing, too, right, is we've had this discussion before. As teams invest in their base defense being nickel, their sub-package backer for a base, you know, 4-3-3-4, whatever you want to run, your sub-package backer is not going to be as good as they were 5 or 10 years ago. And that guy is going to have to hold up at the point of attack versus running back one, two, three, four in New England. And they're not going to 35 carries into a game. That's what he's essentially scheming is he's trying to figure out what can you not do. And right now what the NFL can't do is have a third linebacker that can cover an athletic tight end in space, but also that can go blow for blow with Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris for four quarters. That's their matchup advantage, and they figured it out because everybody else is investing at receiver, and they're like, screw it. We'll have three guys that are good enough and figure the rest of it out. They also got some scheduling luck because they finish second, and they cross against other second-place teams in the NFC West, in the AFC West, and the poor Dolphins, because they finished third, they drew the worst team from the AFC West, the Chargers. They drew the worst team from the NFC West, the 49ers. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Patriots get the Cardinals. The Patriots get the Raiders. It's easier. They have an easier schedule. When you look at the strength of schedule, like, oh, man, how come the Dolphins have a much more difficult schedule than the Patriots? This doesn't make any sense. It's just the way the teams cross based on the record last year. Good luck for the Patriots. Bad luck for the Dolphins. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the third place team in the AFC North was the Ra was the Ravens. <laughs> they might get the Ravens too. <laughs> they cross against all, right? They cross against all of the. It's a it's a damn shame. You're exactly right. If the, if that would be amazing if they if they were if they weren't fully crossing against that division, which they are. So they're playing all the AFC North teams. But if they weren't, and the Patriots got the Steelers. And they got the Ravens. <laughs> and the Dolphins got the Ravens. Oh, that would have been great. But th th this is exactly what we're talking about, though. This is the issue. This is it's just it's just it's, it's bad luck. It's bizarre. It's bad luck how it works out. 
it's bizarre that their win totals are both eight and a half. If they were both nine and a half or they were nine and a half and ten and a half, that would make sense. To me, baking in the Patriots at eight and a half wins over is easy. Like, there's a path to ele- probably 10 or 11 wins for them. Take it. But you also have to take some unders. You can't take all the overs. We're taking an under here. For, again, if we're, we're making calls about this division, that's what the show is all about. I think the more we look at it, the more we're under on the Dolphins. Now, let's look at the Bills. Let's close this out. The Bills are the runaway favorites to win the division, as they should be. They were great last year. Some say could have, should have went to the Super Bowl, right? I picked them. I mean, they they were the best team in football last year. I agree wholeheartedly. They were the best team in football. I mean, in any given one-game sample, shit happens. Yeah, I mean, shit happens, right? But... You, you play those games out. You simulate them over and over again. I think the Bills make the Super Bowl more than any other AFC team. How are they looking this year? I think the meaningful additions that they've made kind of change. They don't necessarily change the ceiling of the team because their ceiling was Super Bowl champion, and it has been for the last year and a half or so. But they drastically changed the floor. What do I mean by that? Roger Saffold signing in Buffalo is huge, 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 huge. All pro caliber player. They added Von Miller. Yes, the contract looks bloated, whatever. Who cares? Who cares? Their goal is to win a Super Bowl this year, next year, the year after. Who cares? If you can fit them under the cap, fit them under the cap. Let's go do this, right? Jamison Crowder signing. Why is that important, right? Why is that important, right? Because he's going to play the Cole Beasley role. They're doing the same thing the Patriots are doing. They're saying, hey, we're losing a particular player at a particular position with a particular skill set, and we're going to replace that guy with a younger version of that guy. And then you go look at their draft, and we sit here and you're like, okay, Kyer Elam, DB from Florida, great value at the end of round one. James Cook, running back from Georgia. How do you hate that pick when, I mean, you've seen the end of what Devin Singletary looked like last year, and he looked good, but the rest of the backfield leaves a lot to be desired. We talked about the probability they draft Brees Hall because the Bills were the one team where you look at their roster and you go, oh man, there's no weaknesses. Yeah. Right down all the position groups, there's no weaknesses. This is one of the best defenses in the league. They have a rock-solid offensive line, great skill position players. If yep. there's a team that could afford a luxury running back pick in the second round, it's the Bills, and they did it. It just wasn't Brees Hall. And then, so it's not great that they took a satellite back when they could have had a you know a Pierre Strong, like the Patriots, rounds later. So that would have been the move. I would not have drafted James Cook if I were in their position. But they, they went back and tried to get another Gabriel Davis in the fifth round with Khalil Shakir. These are some savvy moves, especially the Elam pick. Love that. I mean, to put him across from Tredavious White is just deadly. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not like their safeties have anything to be desired. Because, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and run the ball against us. Go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead and run the ball. Please. If I'm the Bills, I'm incentivizing opposing offenses as much as possible to run the ball against me. Please. I'm begging you. Because they saw the only way they get beat in the playoffs was elite quarterback play taking advantage. Your quarterback has to go full God mode to have a chance. At the end of the game, this is how we lose. Yeah. Right, this is how we lose. So what do they do? First rounder, boom. 
cornerback. So that's why all those rumors of Brees Hall going to the Bills in the first round, if there were any kind of cornerback talent available to them, that's the direction they were going. Yeah. And the, the other – okay, so the, the weirdest thing for me about Buffalo is – one, I cannot believe that they didn't win at all. Because those those two back-to-back playoff games are probably the two best, like the best back-to-back playoff games I've ever seen a quarterback play. I can't remember what the exact number was, but I think Josh Allen's QBR was somewhere in like the 96 range over oh, yeah. those two games, which is just like, how do you even begin to process that? That's absurd. But then the other thing that they did too was they were like, hey, we play in Buffalo. We're going to have teams come here in probably driving snowstorms in January. Let's also go get the one guy who can probably punt a ball out of the stadium in Matariza, a.k.a. punt God, in round six. Not that they punt often anyway. Hey, it's a luxury pick. They, if you have that loaded of a roster, you can, you can take a punter in round six, and, I, and I'm not going to blink. Yeah, and, and look, like— they're probably they're the favorite to win the Super Bowl. They should be the favorite to win the Super Bowl. They should be everyone's outright pick to win the Super Bowl if everyone stays healthy. But this is the NFL, and we know that that's not the case. And so, you know, we'll reserve judgment until playoff time to see if they have enough bodies to make that run. But for, out of the gate, they're my pick to win the Super Bowl. Well, they're yeah, they're Vegas's pick to win the Super Bowl. They're plus six fifty. The next team on the list the Buccaneers at plus 750 on Caesars, Caesars Sportsbook promo code podfather15 and that gets you $1,500 of first bet insurance. The next team are the Chiefs at plus 1,000 and then the Packers. I mean, that doesn't make sense. The pa- I keep with the Rams are the same as the Packers. That's odd to me. 49ers after that. So that's Interesting. Then the Chargers getting respect this year, plus 1,600 right there with the 49ers, right there with the Broncos. It's a fun pick. Vegas respects Russell Wilson, respects the Chargers. I love that very much. Plus 1,600 on Trey Lance at quarterback. Ooh, that that's aggressive. I'm not taking that. And I'm not taking plus 750 on the Buccaneers either. No. The Bills at plus 650, much better value than the Bucks at plus 750 because... One of these years, one of these years, and Tom Brady signaled it in the offseason. He says, I don't know if I got it anymore. Eh, Maybe I do. Or maybe you don't, Tom. So he loses Chris Godwin. The defense continues to age as they have to sign more and more of these veteran players to bigger contracts. (sighs) Even if Brady is 2021 Brady, plus 750 is too aggressive not even baking in this possibility that Brady takes a step back this year because, hello, he's a human living on planet Earth. And he's been living here on planet Earth for 44-plus years. The interesting thing for me about Buffalo is, you know, if you look at their last two games, right, and obviously that's a very small sample size, but if you look at how they won or and how they should have won those games, it's Josh Allen doing things that only Josh Allen can do, one. Two, it involved receivers other than Stefan Diggs. And that's important going forward, not because I think Gabriel Davis is the second coming of Jerry Rice, but having a competent 1B for a long time was their biggest issue, right? Because you had Beasley in the slot, and obviously we know what Dawson Knox can do. But not having a guy next to Diggs that was really threatening anybody at any time 
was such a handicap for them in terms of the way that they could play, right? Yeah, and Emmanuel Sanders was small. Small and old, dusty, no good. And they didn't replace Emmanuel Sanders. They replaced Beasley with Crowder. They did not replace Sanders and have lit the runway for Gabriel Davis. And if Shakir can be something too, there are four guys now that you have to worry about. Shakir did not participate much in minicamp. He had an undisclosed injury, and that is always a glaring red flag. That's a glaring like No, so it's just all the more reason to be bullish on Gabriel Davis. Yeah, and I mean, look, like there are reasons to be bullish on all of these AFC East teams, right? Like you could say, you know, the Dolphins did get much better because of Hill because they can do so much more. We think the Jets are going to take a big leap. We think New England with year two of Mac Jones is going to be much better. We think Buffalo has added the final pieces of that Super Bowl championship team that those fans have absolutely deserved for years and years and years. The question is, when you have all of these division games between these four teams, how do you think those shake out? I think Buffalo wins the lion's share of theirs. I think New England maybe potentially splits with Buffalo but wins the lion's share of theirs. And I think the Jets and the Dolphins are going to be fighting it out to see who can kind of go 3-3, three and 4-2 three, and two in their interdivision games just to stay alive in that playoff picture. Yeah, the Bills have a murderous schedule. It is, it is absolutely murder. At Los Angeles to start, then the Tennessee Titans at home, then they go to Miami, then they go to Baltimore. It's the Steelers, and then they're at Pittsburgh. So they could lose a, a couple games early in the season. Yeah, the thing is, Buffalo's road to the Super Bowl isn't really going to be traditional. And I think it's it's just because of their schedule, right? Like, they're, they're potentially going to lose six or seven games. And they're really a three or four loss team. Like, that's how yeah. good they are. The their division is improving. It's, it's right. like a, a lesser version of... Of the AFC West. You saw the AFC West adding all this talent. Devontae Adams coming in. Russell Wilson coming in, right? Yep. Now with the, in the AFC East, you got the ascendance of Mac Jones, the, the possible ascendance of Zach Wilson, Tyreek Hill's coming on board, uh, Devontae Parker staying in the division. And so these are two divisions on, on both sides, the East and the West, AFC East, AFC West, where all the teams are improving around the incumbent, the Bills. And, I mean, I think the Bills have also improved significantly, right, in terms right. of spots of weakness. There are no holes in this roster, as far as I can tell, right? At this point, Buffalo is the team that everybody's chasing. Their schedule may do them no favors, right? But another really interesting one that I want to talk about, just, to, just in terms of Buffalo as the favorite to win the Super Bowl. If you have a second, go look up Green Bay's schedule. Green Bay to lead the league in regular season wins is a really, really, really interesting one because of their schedule. I think that given where they are, they're probably going to be the NFC one seed again. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. I don't know how I don't know how you justify that. I don't know how you could justify that with with Aaron Rodgers getting older and losing one of their best players and not replacing him. Just based on the schedule, I think is dangerous. Now we're not going to talk about this yet. You're 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 now moving out of the AFC East. I disagree with you wholeheartedly. If 
Alan Lazard and Christian Watson and Sammy Watkins are your best receivers, you're in trouble. <laughs> Robert Tunyon is probably going to start the year on the pop. I mean, David Bakhtiari is fragile. I don't love it. I don't love it. But I, 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 but I see the schedule. I see that they do cross against the Giants, which is in London, which is interesting. They had the Jets on there, the Commanders, the Bears, the Bears again, the Lions, the Lions again. But the Lions are going to be vastly improved. I think that Minnesota and Detroit will both be significantly improved, and that's going to hurt the Packers' chances of securing the one seed, for example. The thing is their division just isn't – and we love all of all of this stuff, but it goes back to what we think about Buffalo, right? Buffalo is just so much better than the rest of this division that I have no worries about Buffalo winning this division. I feel the same way about Green Bay. Not that other teams haven't improved, much like the AFC East has improved, right? That, to me, doesn't deter me from taking Buffalo at whatever it is, minus 220 to win the division, something like that. Yeah, they're not going to they're not going to win 13 games. Their schedule is just too tough, but they're going to win this division. And so that's why like when you look at over/unders, season totals, all of that stuff, that's probably the easiest bet that you can make in this division at all is just Buffalo to win it outright because that schedule can definitely lead to Buffalo being a 10 and 7, really 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 good 10 and 7 team, but going under that 10 and a half win total. The Roger Saffold Signing. I mean, I know he's 34 years old. He's not what he was. Oh, my God. Love it. But whenever you could just build strength on strength, they didn't even need him. Right? They didn't even need him. They, they needed Crowder to replace Beasley. Understood. Right? They, they needed more firepower in the secondary with Elam. Understood. They didn't even need Saffold. So they're just making these savvy picks to just extend their lead. Like, extend their talent lead. Where... The Patriots can think, oh well, you know we're we're you know we're we're juking right, and we're 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 dodging, right? We're we're getting through it. We're 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 staying on track with our roster construction. Great. Well, the Bills just extended their lead. Yeah. Right. They they, they you're losing Karras. They're adding Saffold. It's a great great addition. Oh man, if you're any team in this division, it's just you look. It's just you're like oh. God damn it. God and then you damn add, it. And then you add Jamison Crowder to replace Beasley, who is arguably even more explosive. And you look at all of the, the ways that Buffalo beat New England. You know, you know Belichick's going to run man. He loves to run man. And Josh Allen has, hits these freak-ass arm angles to hit these throws that are just utterly impossible man beaters over and over and over again with those crossing routes. And... You sit there and you wonder, well, his arm isn't going to get less strong. You know, they've added a quicker, faster Cole Beasley in the slot. Gabe Davis is going to potentially take that next step. Stephon Diggs isn't losing anything. Oh, yeah, also Devin Singletary is back, and we added James Cook out of the backfield as a threat just for fucking fun, right? This is so, so, so ridiculous that... I don't know why you would bet on anybody else to win this division unless you wholeheartedly believe some key piece of Buffalo gets injured. This is, to me, the one division winner bet that I feel the best about because I don't think even if New England were to rip a game from them, Miami were to rip a game from them, the Jets were to rip a game from them, whoever it is, they're still going to hit that 10-win threshold, and I don't feel confident that anyone else definitely will.
I don't think even if New England were to rip a game from them, Miami were to rip a game from them, the Jets were to rip a game from them, whoever it is, they're still going to hit that 10-win threshold, and I don't feel confident that anyone else definitely will. That's the show. I do like them plus 650. I can't believe I like a favorite to win the Super Bowl. I do plus 650 if I'm getting 6x my money. That seems like a fine bet. I mean, especially in the context compared to how bad the Bucks, Chiefs, and Packers bets are. Oh, they're terrible. It's not that far off. No. And like, it, it, oh man, it, the thing for me is like, if you look at the rest of this, right? Like the second best bet on this board is probably either the Rams to repeat or the Chargers at 1600. The third or fourth best bet is probably Cincinnati. Like, the, the AFC West is going to beat the shit out of each other. We know that. The AFC North has potentially Watson Watson missing. Who knows what the Ravens are going to do? The Steelers are obviously going to take a step back without Ben. Like, man, like these lines are whack. They're crazy, crazy, man. I don't know what the hell they're doing. Now check out this end screen. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all. That's a wrap. Buffalo's only minus 220 to win the division. You got to put in a little over 100 to win 50. I don't know. With the Patriots out there, the Dolphins improving, kind of makes sense. The Patriots are plus 450, and then plus 450 for the for the Dolphins, too. So they give the Dolphins and the Pats equivalent shots at winning the division. One of these years, and Tom Brady signaled it in the offseason. He says, I don't know if I got it anymore. Eh, maybe I do. Or maybe you don't, Tom. Oh, my God. Love it. Can we please like start a GoFundMe for Mac Jones to find in a number one receiver? Hello, he's a human living on planet Earth, and he's been living here on planet Earth for 44 plus years. Hand in the dirt. Oh my God, love it.